everyone. Thanks for listening to Draw Near with Fred and Kara. And we are finally back after about a month and a half of not not posting a new episode. Um, But we did mention in our recent episodes that summer is really kind of madness for ministry. Um, So thank you for continuing to listen. We have had people go back and listen to other episodes and older episodes too. So that's really awesome. We're glad that you're continuing Mm -hmm. to listen and Thank you for your consistency, even if it's been hard for us to be consistent. I would be interested to hear, actually, so Fred and I have thrown out the idea of recording kind of short reflection episodes so that if we aren't able to post something, we can still like sit down and have a full episode. We can still shoot out a reflection. So I would be interested to hear if you guys would actually like that. Um, So if you want to email us at drawnear.me at gmail.com, let us know if this would be something you would actually want, and we would be more than happy to do it for you. Maybe even offer some like suggestions on what what are some topics you'd like some reflections on. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, And once the summer settles down, we are going to get back to our normal plan of every other Wednesday. So thank you for, you know, continuing to listen. So for today, we have a very special guest, a dear friend of both Fred and mine, um, and a co-worker in the vineyard, if you will, Father Patrick Bame. Um, he's a priest in our diocese, and we're really excited to, to talk to him today. Um, and we're kind of taking a, a fun approach with this episode, um, because it doesn't require you know a ton of prep on our part amidst the busyness, too. <laughs> it's the busyness. Summer yeah. is busy for work and family, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to take this episode and have it be kind of a, an Ask a Priest episode. So that's today. We're just going to really have a conversation with Father, uh, who is wise theologically and spiritually, and I think a great, great pastor in the true sense of the word. So Father Baim is here with us. Uh, hey, Father, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. You know, you, you mentioned all these accolades, like pastor and wise and a special guest. I want to know who this guy is. Like, <laughs> when he, is he going to show up? I mean, I'd, I'd like to meet this guy. Yeah, when, yeah. When he, if and when he does, let me know. But uh, in the meantime, you're stuck with me. Yeah, um, shall we pray? Yeah. We'll begin with a little pray. prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus. Lord, bless and sanctify and guide our discussion today. Lord, help us hear your voice, discern your voice in all things. May I see an intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, whom this year is especially dedicated to, our own guardian angels and patron saints. We ask, Lord, that through their intercession, you would bless and sanctify our time, that you would open our lips to proclaim your praise in the ears of all who are listening to receive your word into the depths of their heart, to move them to a conversion, to move them to metanoia, to move them to love you more and more, Lord Jesus. In your name and in Mary's intercession, we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, sweet. Let's, like I said, it's an honor to be here. I, uh, I've heard of your, ta- of your, of your podcast, and um, you know, the fact that you asked me to be on, like, I'm just like, wow, I, you know, that's, that's really an honor. And, mm-hmm. and as Kara said, you know, I, I do consider both of you dear friends and it's, it's good just to, to spend this time with you guys and, and, and discuss the faith. And hopefully, you know, if, uh, if the Lord so chooses, he can use us to, to lead others to, as I said in that prayer, to a deep conversion today. So yeah, yeah, yeah. thank I you think, for having me. I think you're our first guest. I, wow. All Besides right. John Paul, he, yeah, he kind of interviewed us yeah, as like a yeah. get to know you. I, I know John Paul well. He was my student. How yeah. about that? That's he cool. Was our, he was yeah. our guest. We affectionately oh. call him right. John Paul the Third. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So, he was your first guest. So, I'm number two. All right. I, I can I can tolerate being <laughs> yeah, okay. you know, the second guest. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. So, okay. Some of our listeners are not from our diocese. Actually, many of them are from outside mm. of our state. So, oh, wow. who are you? 
But who am I? Yeah, who are you for the people who, who don't know who you are? All right, yeah. So, uh, you know, ironically, if you would have asked me this even four days ago, my answer would have been a lot longer. Um, but uh, we have just in our own parish consolidated a lot of parishes canonically into one parish. And so I help now uh, at six churches, essentially, mm-hmm. that are canonically rolled into one parish. And so it's, sometimes it can be a little challenging to figure out, okay, where am I supposed to be today? Um, that, uh, that takes up the, you know, a good chunk of my ministry. The other part where I, where I really primarily spend the majority of my time is serving as chaplain and as a teacher, uh, a religion teacher at Kemper Catholic High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a Catholic high school. Um, it, it's really a Catholic school, pre-K through 12, uh, here in, in Carroll, Iowa, where I serve uh, as associate pastor. But I specifically focus a lot of the time uh, on ministering to our high school students, serving as their chaplain, and also teaching. I, I got roped into teaching one class last semester, and I might wind up teaching one this year. So we'll, we'll see. That's, that's all up in the air. Uh, and then I wear a few other hats uh, throughout the diocese, um, and a few other responsibilities here and there. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's pretty much me. I've been a priest for nine years. I, I love being a priest. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful life. It's a true joy um, to serve in this vocation. And, and you know, I, I'm humbled every day that God would actually call me to this life. You know, I, it, it baffles me every day as I stand offering the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass that, that Jesus invited me to participate in his priesthood. So that's that's yeah. who I am. I don't yeah. know if that if that answers your question or not, but that's who I am. No, it does. It does. Awesome. And uh, I've I've had the pleasure of knowing you for quite some time. I think it's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. Like I feel like our kind of our paths have intertwined at multiple different sects in our life. Yes, it's just indeed. Great. And by the way, she said sects, yeah. S-E-C-T-S, not sex. Let's just make sure we're clear <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. Mul- I'll re-say that. <laughs> have intersect at multiple different points in our yes. life. There yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I did. I can celebrate your wedding, and I've known you, gosh, I think I met well, you when we you were in high school. We were, yes, we went to student meal together when I was in high school, right. and then we worked together when I was a youth minister, and then we went to Poland together. Yes, that's right. Uh, to we, World Youth Day in 2016. We did a uh, we did the March for Life and we did the Mat- Turnpike Mass. Yeah, so yeah, stuck so on maybe, a bus for yeah, twenty four yeah, hours. Yeah, maybe maybe some of our listeners are familiar with that. Um, so I think that was in twenty fifteen. I don't. It might have been fifteen or sixteen. I don't remember exactly, but. Yeah. Um, our bus and along with a whole bunch of others got stuck on the Pennsylvania Turnpike coming back from the March for Life in mm-hmm. Washington. And yours truly happened to have a mass kit. And so we offered mass. Uh, we built up an altar out of snow. snow and I was the so one, I was the principal celebrant of that mass. There yeah. were uh, there were seven of my brother priests that con-celebrated it with me. But um, <laughs> I think just because I was the only one that happened to have a mass kit with me, they asked me to be the principal celebrant and preach. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's quite the experience, quite the event. Yeah. It's pretty beautiful. I feel yeah. like you've done like weird masses kind of all well, over the you place. Know, it, it, yeah. And they're almost always associated with March for Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had that one. I had one in McDonald's once. Our bus broke down uh, coming back from That's the That's evangelization. Yeah. <laughs> like well, hey, the people I, around you. You know, it, 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 I mean, it is. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of odd because, you know, on that one, I, we, were in, uh, we were in southern Indiana. And, you know, if you know southern Indiana, it's really kind of starting to get down into the Bible belt. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, it's a hop, skip, and a jump from Kentucky. And, you know, in Kentucky is very clearly, Kentucky, Tennessee, that area, very clearly in the Bible Belt. Well, it, it, southern Indiana can have uh, a real Baptist flair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had no idea who I was talking to. I was at the, this McDonald's, and I just went up to the, to the lady working at the, the counter, and I'm wearing a, cl- a Roman collar. I look like a priest, but I just say, hey, we'd like to have a prayer service 
um, over there in your restaurant. We're kind of stuck here. Do you mind if I if I lead a short little prayer service? It'll take about 20, 25 minutes. And she said, no, that's great. That's fine. So I'll pull out you my should mask. Have, like, we would like to bring Jesus yeah. here, present. Yeah. Well, but again, it's one of those things like, okay, how do you explain this to somebody right. that doesn't have any right. idea what you're talking about? And right. so, and they were totally cool with it. And so we had mass right there in, uh, in the McDonald's dining room. Yeah. And, you know, it, it just, Jesus comes where you are. Yeah. He comes to meet you. And that, I, that's the beautiful thing. Yeah, I remember the world meeting of families when we both went to that. That's right. And we did that too I, in I, Philadelphia. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Hotel lobby. And I, so I <laughs> yes. remember as soon as like you come, you come into the check in, and you're walking right into mass. And I just remember First, like, that's right. Like seeing the look on everyone's face, and just I don't know. There was actually there was a reverence there. Totally. Uh, no, all totally. things considered, I, I was impressed by that. But I'll forever remember that. It's just a beautiful gift. Yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, I I have to confess. I mean, I I remember. The world meeting of families, just because that's the only time I've can celebrated mass with our Holy Father Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not able to can celebrate with him at World Youth Day. For a, maybe we can get into that story, but uh, Kara look, just looked at me like, "Really? Like I was there with you? I didn't know that." Yeah, yeah. I really did not get to can celebrate mass with the Holy Father. It, mm. the The bottleneck was too much for my claustrophobia, and yeah. I was just like, yeah. "All right, I'm done." And yeah. so I, <laughs> right. I jumped out of line. I said, "I'm going to go back to the hotel and have mass at the hotel." But yeah, uh, I was able to can celebrate with the Holy father in, in Philadelphia. And I remember, Fred, you were there. It was just a, a wonderful experience, wonderful opportunity mm-hmm. um, to meet with so many people uh, from our diocese, mm-hmm. but really throughout the world uh, for the world meeting of families. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And Jim Gaffigan was there. So oh. bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great guy. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna we're, we're gonna get started with some of the questions, and I know. Right. So we're having a, a young adult conference um, for young adults in, in our diocese coming up here at the end of the month, and one of the topics that we're having you talk about is forgiveness. Yes. And so I have a question, kind of relating to that, and some of these are questions that uh, you know Fred and I had. Like, if you could sit down with Father Pat, what would you ask him? Some of them are just questions mm-hmm. that we have gotten from other people. Um, so we're kind of just pulling from a bunch of sources. How but. in the world did the bishop see you fit to be ordained? That's my first question. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So go ahead. Go um, ahead. What do you got? Okay. Um, what are some things that you would suggest to someone who is struggling with unforgiveness in their life? Whether it's not accepting God's forgiveness or they're not willing to forgive other people. Yeah. You know, the biggest thing is, and it's weird, you know, we get this... This is probably one of the more common things that I have to counsel people on in the confessional. And obviously I can't go into the specifics of what I hear in confession, but I can say in general that there's a lot of people that really struggle with this, Mm -hmm. that really struggle with, okay, I can't forgive my husband, my wife, my parents, my siblings, you know, uh, my boss, you know, whatever it is. I can't forgive this person. And so I always offer them two pieces of advice. The first thing is that Forgiveness is not a feeling, right? Forgiveness is a choice. Right. You know, one of the things that St. John Paul II gave us that, that he really, that I think is a great gift of his, is he was really insistent that love is not a feeling, right? We have like this kind of modern notion, I think really influenced by Hollywood, that love is just sort of, you know, I love that person. I fell in love with him. I fell out of love. Right. Well, falling out of love in the Christian sense is just nonsense, right? Because we're called to love everyone. Spouses are called to love each other in a unique way. But we're called to love everyone, right? And to be able to, to say to any person that we meet on the street, I love you, right? Not in the romantic sense that husband and wife say to each other, but in the sense of, 
you know, Jesus suffered and died for you, and he calls me to lay down my life for you as well. And Jesus says there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. Where am I going with this? St. John Paul II is very clear to say that love is a choice. It's not a feeling. And that we have to consciously choose every day to love the people in our lives, beginning with those closest to us. And Mother Teresa, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said that, love those, love the person next to you, right? Before you go try to change the world, love the person next to you. How do you love? You choose, mm-hmm. right? You choose to do the good, right? To will the good of the other person. Sometimes that, that can be tough, right? Sometimes, you know, authentic love is maybe not giving someone what they actually want, Right. I mean, think of a child that wants, you know, that wants six bowls of ice cream for supper. That was me. All right. Mm -hmm. And I got really mad when my mom and dad wouldn't let me have six bowls of ice cream for supper. And I didn't think I thought that means you don't love me. Actually, it was quite the opposite. It was because they did love me. And I they knew begging, it was good for me. I was begging my wife for six bowls of ice cream for dinner last night. Exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, believe me, I, 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 if we would have had some in the, refriser, in the freezer yesterday, I probably would have too. <laughs> so here's where I'm going with this. This is a long way of saying forgiveness is just the same, mm-hmm. right? That you can be angry with someone, right? But you can consciously say, I choose to let this go. I choose to not let this wound that was inflicted upon me have control, have dominance over my life. And, and I realize, you know, our listeners are, are they're not able to see my hands. Fred and Kara can, so I'm going to describe what I'm doing. I have my fists kind of clenched out in front of me. And the whole notion of forgiveness is to say, okay, I'm going to open these up and let this thing that I am clinging to go. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is really, I mean, if we think about it, really more for ourselves than for the other person to say that I am not going to let this have any influence over me, to surrender this completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I give this to you. So that's the first bit of advice, to remember that forgiveness is a choice of the will. The second piece of advice that I always give to people, because it's one thing to say this in theory, it's an entirely different course of action to do this in practice. That's hard, right? Choosing to forgive is much easier said than done. So how do you do it? You pray for the person. Mm-hmm. And this is what Jesus says. I mean, think about what he said, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount. Pray for those who persecute you. And then he not only says this, he shows us on the cross. I mean, as he, as he prays for his executioners and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What is Jesus in essence doing? He's praying for those who are in the moment torturing him and killing him and taking his life to give us an example. So that when someone wounds us in any way, big or small, whatever it is, that we can surrender that person to Jesus and say, Lord, I pray for this person, right? Lord, I ask that you would bless this person. I ask, Lord, that whatever grace, whatever blessing, whatever, whatever moment of conversion this person needs in his or her life, I ask that you would grant that, Lord, in, in your name, Lord Jesus. We pray for those who persecute us. So that's a long answer, but those are, I think it's a really important question. I mean, it's amazing how many people struggle with this. Yeah. And so I think those two things, forgiveness is a choice, pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. I think that unforgiveness that we have in our hearts for other people, it only does harm to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've also seen like, especially working with young adults in like small group ministries and stuff, I've also seen like... They're very passionate, they're very faithful, and they love the sacraments, but they're still clinging to, like, I'm not good in this way, I'm not good, you know? So, like, mm-hmm. how do you deal with that unforgiveness? Like, we know Christ has forgiven us in the sacrament of confession, and that's such a beautiful thing, but, like, how do we let go of that guilt 
and, and shame that we feel from a sin we've already been forgiven for by God. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have another thought. Let me let me circle back and then I'll come back to this. Okay. Let me just circle back uh, to our first question, forgiving another person. Then you kind of ask specifically, Kara, how do I forgive myself? Right. Mm-hmm. So let me circle back to that. But um, we're recording this uh, on July 7th, 2021. Yesterday in the church in the church's liturgy, we honored Saint Maria Goretti, mm-hmm. July sixth. And if you know the story of Saint Maria Goretti, um, she was murdered by a young man named Alessandro. And uh, Saint Maria Goretti, in a heroic act of virtue, forgave him before she died. And after her death, appeared to him in a vision, which ultimately led to his conversion. And I think you know it goes back to what you said, Kara, that we when we forgive. It's for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think St. Maria Goretti understood, even at a very young age, she was only 12 or 13 when she was killed. At a very young age, she realized that for her to be whole, and, and we might even say for her to be whole in heaven, she realized that she had to forgive. I mean, what does mm-hmm. Jesus tell us? Unless you forgive your brother from your heart, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. I mean, those are the, the words of our blessed Lord. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. But then circle this back. And Carrie, you asked about just kind of forgiving ourselves. So we've committed sin X, Y, Z. We've surrendered it to Jesus in confession. How do we, how do we kind of move on, so to speak? And again, easier said than done, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't know if there's any there's any surefire thing that works for everybody. I mean, if I had a magic bullet, I'd give it to you. But I think one thing that just really can help overcome uh, self-hatred and self-loathing of our own sinfulness are the three basic tenets of the Catholic faith, or the Christian faith, I should say, but just Christianity in general, Catholicism in particular, prayer, sacraments, and virtue, Mm -hmm. that we pray, we be, we, we're people of prayer who develop a relationship with the Lord Jesus. We receive the grace of the sacraments, which Jesus continually offers to us every day in, in confession and, and in Holy Communion, and then obviously at various points in our life with the other five sacraments of the church. But then that we, we seek to grow in virtue, particularly the cardinal virtues, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And that so whatever vice we, we committed in our past life, I mean, maybe it was a vice of anger or lust or greed or envy or whatever it is, that we look to hone the virtue that operates against that vice. So let me, I'll give you a quick example. Let's say that someone uh, in a, before undergoing a conversion or even after conversions, because we fall, right? I mean, I think sometimes we have this notion that converted people don't fall and they do. I mean, mm-hmm. we go to confess. I'll tell you, I just went to confession this morning. I need it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the thing is, when we when we fall, whatever it is, suppose just for the sake of this discussion that uh, this fall was robbery. This person robbed a bank, and they have a hard time. This person, whomever it is, has a hard time forgiving him or herself. How do you work against that generosity? Right? What's the opposite virtue of the vice of greed? Generosity. And you say, okay, in my past life, I stole from people. Now I'm going to use the gifts that God has given me and whatever it is to give back to the poor, to the sick, to the downtrodden, whatever it is. I mean, it's just one example. Mm-hmm. But I think it works to counteract mm-hmm. any negative thoughts in our own mind mm-hmm. about 
my own wickedness. Because, I mean, yeah, before God, we're all wicked. But thanks be to Jesus, you know, for, uh, for giving us the grace of the sacraments to renew and to restore that and, and to, to wipe clean, right? I mean, think about what, you know, think about what we pray each year in the Easter Exalted. Who wiped clean, Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, wiped clean the record of our ancient sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. I had a professor once say that, because, uh, you know, sometimes even after we go to confession, like you have guilt or you have shame, and that's obviously damaging if it turns into like self-loathing, you know, right. so you mm-hmm. don't want that to happen. But he said, you know, guilt is not a bad thing. There's this connotation, like Catholic guilt, he goes, guilt is not a bad thing. It's kind of like pain. If you stick your hand on a stovetop that's turned on and you start feeling pain, that pain tells you, hey, get your hand off of the stovetop. Guilt's kind of the same way. Like you feel guilt over something. It's supposed to urge you to change and, yes. and to, mm. you know, stop doing that thing that's causing mm. that. Father, we've been talking a lot about uh, just in our, in our own work. And Kara mentioned Made for Greatness earlier. It's yeah. a young adult conference. And uh, we're really focusing on the call to holiness and, and that, that greatness that we're all called to. And I don't know, perhaps this is related, Kara, to your point, but we we notice that there are a lot of young adults out there that kind of struggle like they they know that that's a call but there's also like this interior struggle of i will be great someday but i'm not yet like is it is it a is it a continuing to kind of stay in that place of of unforgiveness towards self and how you're not meeting what you believe is the standard or what do you think that might be and what advice would you have for young adults that feel like I'll be great someday. I'll be a saint someday. But they don't see, they don't see that greatness either in themselves presently, or as even a possibility where they presently are. How would you yeah. speak into that? <laughs> you know, it's a it's a great question. Um, you know what actually comes to mind? I, I don't know if we have any movie lover fans uh, listening today. Um, this is an oldie. It, it probably predates most of your listeners. It actually predates me, I think. If, it, if this was out, it was just when I was a little kid, I when I was a baby. It, <laughs> um, I have a long list. <laughs> but uh, Rocky Three. Oh, okay. Right? Yep. So there's Rocky Three to set the scene, to set the story. Uh, Rocky's trainer, Mickey, has died. And Rocky had just lost the heavyweight title um, to this guy, Mr. T, uh, who played the character named Clubber Lang. And he's going to have a rematch with him. And so because Mickey has died, Rocky's former nemesis, Apollo Creed, is now training him. And they're out in Los Angeles. They're on the beach. And Rocky is just at this point of kind of brokenness. Like he misses his trainer um, he's questioning, you know, can I actually beat this guy because he just got his face beaten in in their first fight. And Apollo is really trying to push him. And at one point, Apollo has him do, you know, one more sprint or one more rep or whatever it is that they're doing. And Rocky says, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And Apollo just gets just this look of like fierceness in his eyes. And he just screams, there is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. And it's really, in, in some sense, kind of the turning point of the movie. Rocky's wife appears, um, and it inspires him. And then he, he picks up his training, and, um, and, and he gets in great shape, and he beats, defeats Clubber Lang in their rematch. 
But it's that line, I think, there is no tomorrow that really speaks to what you're asking about, Fred. Because I think one thing that young people, and when I say young adults, let's just say millennials on down. I mean, I'm at the very front end of the millennial generation. I'm going to be 40 in a few days. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's crazy to think that millennials are now middle age, mm-hmm. but we are, right? And so being at the front end of the millennial generation and working every day with high school students that are in, I mean, what do we call that? Gen Z, Gen mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? As I look at them, I see sort of this same mentality of I've got plenty of time or an acceptance of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Either one lead to the same conclusion, not pushing ourselves to greatness in this moment, mm-hmm. which is why I, I so love the title of our conference, Made for Greatness. And so I think one thing that we have to convince young people of today is that we are all called to greatness. We're called to that right now. That there, you know, just like Apollo said, there is no tomorrow. Um, Pope Benedict XVI very famously in an address said, uh, how did he say this? You were not made mm-hmm. for comfort. Mm-hmm. You were made for greatness. That's where the name came yeah. from. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, how about that? Yeah. How about, I had yeah. no idea. I was just, I'm trying to think of this off the top of my head. And, and um, thanks be to God. What a great title. And I think Pope Benedict really hits on, on a truth there that young people need to hear today that we cannot just rest on our laurels, right? I mean, we, we, look, we, let's just be honest. We've tried that mm-hmm. for about five decades. We have tried just being passive and nice to everybody and, you know, let's just all get along. We've tried that mm-hmm. and it has failed miserably, right? It has failed miserably. The only way to re-evangelize the world to lead people to the life-saving truth that Jesus Christ offers in the gospel is to strive for greatness ourselves, mm-hmm. to be a beacon of hope and of light in a world that is just lost in the darkness. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be cruel, right? right. I'm not saying that we need to be rude to people and mm-hmm. jerks yeah, to anybody. Not. But to just sit there and, and play nice with everybody, mm-hmm. that, those days are long gone. And that means that we have to really be very bold in our proclamation of the gospel, the only way that that boldness happens is by recognizing our own greatness, the greatness to which we've been called. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big difference, too, in, like, worldly greatness. Totally. And, mm-hmm. you know, what we're talking about and what Pope Benedict was talking about. Oh, totally. Because it's, it's about holiness, you know. So I like uh, the, the quote in I Believe in Love about St. Therese where it's talking about it's her, her sister in her religious order after – or when St. Therese is sick and she's on her deathbed and her sister says, I don't know what they're going to say about her at her funeral. She didn't do anything extraordinary. <laughs> and now she's like this amazing saint yeah. and we're all growing closer to God because because of the work that she is doing and the extraordinary things that she did. But we see, you know, all these saints and we're like, I want to be great like them. You know, I want to I want to be like Maximilian Kolbe or I want to be like Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. And like they were great in their own right. But like I just love the little flower because she was great to the point that Nobody saw her greatness until after she died. But she was great in her interior life and in her spirituality. And that's what greatness, I think, looks like. And that's what we're talking about. That it isn't, it isn't these giant movements or it, it isn't these like big acts. It's little movements in your heart towards Christ. And like yes. that's what brings mm-hmm. you to greatness. Yeah. Well, and you know, just to, to jump off on that, you're exactly right. That the world has their own definition of greatness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as disciples of Jesus, you know, just like you said regarding St. Therese, we have a very different understanding of what is great. You know, I mentioned I, I serve as chaplain for a high school. And 
I, I just about every year start with this line and every year I end with it. It's the first thing I say to our students, the last thing I say to our students, that our goal is to form you as disciples, mm-hmm. right? And I say to them, look, I don't care if you are a Rhodes Scholar. I don't care if you get into Harvard. I don't care if you, you know, get into Juilliard in music. I don't care if you earn a Division One athletic scholarship. I don't care about any of that. I don't care if you become CEO of a Fortune 500 company. If any of that happens, that's great. But if at the end of your life you die and you go to hell, then your life has been a total waste. Right. Mm-hmm. Conversely, you know, the other flip, flip side of the same coin if you're a drug addict that lives under a bridge, you get arrested, you spend half your life in prison, um, you're in and out of rehab facilities, uh, and your life is, by any definition that the world would offer, a disaster, but you die and you go to heaven, then your life has been a total success. Right. Mm. Total success. Mm. Harsh but true. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, literally, literally, the only thing that matters in this world is did you make it to heaven at the end of your life? Right. That is literally the only thing that matters. Right. Amen. So it isn't about, like, when you were talking about working with students, it's like, oh, I got time. It's like, right. how do you know you have time? That's right. Any one of us, I mean, Jesus does. You know neither the day nor the right. hour. Right. Not any one of us could die today. Mm-hmm. Any one of us. And so there is no time. My dad used to always say this, and he's exactly right. There's no time like the present. Right. There's no time like the present. Be great. Yeah. Be great yeah. today. Yeah. Amen. I love it. Yeah, I think we we miss that so much. That Greatness looks like a lot of things. It looks like faithfulness. You know, greatness looks like actually smiling and acknowledging mm-hmm. that cashier at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of uh, a, yeah another example that comes to mind. Uh, a couple I taught marriage prep with years ago. He told the story about his dad growing up uh, would get up every every night at three a.m. to pray the Divine Mercy Chapel. He never knew that. He never knew that. And then. One night as a, as a teenager, he woke up in the middle of the night for whatever reason and happened to go downstairs and, and saw his father praying the chapel at, at 3 a.m. Wow. And then, you know, he talked to his father and realized that, you know, every day. Nobody knew that, mm-hmm. but he did it. He was faithful. And I think it's those sort of little unspoken things that oftentimes that that's where greatness is found. It's found in faithfulness. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Be faithful in small matters. And again, it's biblical. I mean, it's exactly, isn't that mm-hmm. exactly what Jesus says? Mm-hmm. You know, you are faithful in small matters. I will give you charge over great, a, mm-hmm. a great many things. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what our Lord says. Be yeah. faithful in the small day-to-day, everyday actions. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen. And that is great. Totally. What else you got for me? Okay, so uh, talking about greatness in the future, but also in the present, we, let's talk about the past. So what is, as a priest, like what does the past year kind of look like for you with you know, COVID and how has it kind of shaped your ministry moving forward or your goal in ministry moving forward? Oh man, I don't even know. Like, where do I begin? Let's, um, let's stay on the like, like real side, but not like super real side because yeah, we yeah. know what you've been through this yeah. past year yeah, too. Yeah. And like, where do you even begin with all that? Yeah. You know, the first thing is probably the first thing that comes to mind is this. The last year taught us not to take the sacraments for granted. For sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it, when we came back to our first mass back after lockdown, mm-hmm. I don't think there was a dry eye in the church, including mine. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I really don't. I mean, people realized how desperately we need the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And, and literally, I mean, what again, so much of what we've been saying is just, it's all biblical. What does right. Jesus say? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no, no life in you. Mm-hmm. If you do not eat the flesh of Jesus Christ and drink his blood, you will die. Period. You will die spiritually. And I think we saw that in people this year. Right? Yeah. Mm. 
I think that so that's that's one thing. I think another thing is you know we have to acknowledge um, some of the suffering that has gone on in people's lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been a lot of people that have lost loved ones um, who are you know who are really wounded, and we have to speak into that and minister to that. There are other people who have been wounded in other ways. Um, kids who've lost two years of school. Right. I mean, I think it's unconscionable that we have places around our country where, you know, kids have not been in real school for two years. Yeah. And just the, the detriment that that is going to have on them and, and their development as young people, I just think that's unconscionable. Uh, and so we'll have to minister to that and speak into that. Um, there have been, you know, obviously people that have lost their jobs and have had livelihoods changed and altered, and we need to minister to that reality. One thing that I think is good is that, you know, we, we really demonstrated um, care for human life, mm-hmm. right? That, that we should take caution, if we can, to prevent death. Now, I don't think, you know, we can, at some point, you know, there's this balance between do we live life or do we survive life? I mean, St. Irenaeus said the glory of God is man fully alive, that God does not intend us, you know, to live in a bubble our whole life. That's not living, that's surviving. And so there obviously has to be a balance point there. And I, ha- and, I mean, I don't like the term happy medium, but for lack of a better term. But uh, with all of that being said, I think, I think this has changed ministry, but I don't think it's changed ministry, if that makes any sense. It's changed some of the specifics, but the general premise is always the same, and it will be the same until the second coming of Christ. Go and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. My, I think my hope is that, like, the premise of ministry, sure, is still the same. But my hope is that it does change ministry. Sure. Because I think for a very long time, we've kind of been complacent in our ministry. Like, mm-hmm. we, like we expect people to come to us. And having that taken away, they can't come to us. We're in lockdown. Mm-hmm. I really hope it shifts the focus to truly what the joy of the gospel talks about, open, you know, open wide your doors. It's not open wide so everyone can come to you. It's open your doors so you can leave and go to people and Ooh. evangelize people. Yeah. That's a great, I love that. That's a, it, I might steal that in a future homily. You can, you can yeah. have it. <laughs> that's great. I love that. So I hope ministry turns more into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so a lot of our conversation has also been kind of focused around young adults. Yeah. And I don't think this is strictly a young adult uh, issue within the Catholic Church mm-hmm. or even just within our culture. I think it's it's also kind of bleeding into other generations. But we're seeing a trend that like a lot of these kind of new agey things oh, gosh. Yeah. are coming yeah, yeah. into how we practice the faith. <laughs> so I don't I mean, I don't know what all of those things necessarily would be like like uh, yoga or like meditations, not necessarily contemplation with Christ, just like meditating or hypnosis or, you know, like mediums oh, wow. and that kind of, all that kind of okay, stuff. Like yeah. we're kind of so, seeing that come in. Do you think, do you think that like, like what are your thoughts on it? And is it just like, like people don't fully understand what the church teaching is or what the danger sure. is or, you know what I mean? Well, golly, you opened up a can of worms here. Yeah, I'm really that. shifting okay. the questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, it, so a couple of things. The first is young people, in my experience, have a very unhealthy fascination with these things. Mm -hmm. Now, full disclosure, I teach about them when I teach high school. So I this last semester I taught a class on the sacraments and I talked about the ministry of exorcism in my sacraments class. Why? Because it's a sacramental of the church. Mm -hmm. It's the appropriate place to put it in the in the schema of high school catechesis. And my, my reasoning for that was I don't want them to develop an unhealthy fascination, but it's already out there. 
Right. right. I mean, you look at, I mean, just think of the movies that have been made on this topic, right? right? The Conjuring, The Right, The Exorcism of Even Emily Rose. Even the Rhodes. new one that was like Sabrina the Teenage Witch yes. that was based off of like when, like, when we were younger. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I mean, yeah. I remember that, the like the the sitcom Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. That was actually a funny show. Yeah. The new one on Netflix was dark. They like yeah. sued it, yeah, because it was, it was so realistic. so realistic to, that some, a to group the of Satanists. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. Who that. sued? A group of Satanists, that's all I know. Wow, yeah, okay, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. Well, in any event, um, this stuff is out there. Yeah. You know, I, one of my passions in life is travel. I love to travel. And once upon a time, it was about a year ago, when we were in the middle of lockdown, I went to uh, the Travel Channel tab on Hulu, on my Hulu app, and figured, okay, I'll find some show about a place that I will travel to when COVID is a thing of the past. And I go to the, the Travel Channel tab, and I'm not kidding you. Every single show was about the paranormal, oh. ghosts, mm-hmm. demonic stuff. I'm just like, what in the world? So my reasoning for why I teach this to my students is, look, this stuff is out there. And they're mm-hmm. going to learn about it. They're going to hear about it. They're either going to hear about it from Netflix mm-hmm. and Hulu or YouTube or Google, or they can hear about it from me. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I, and just like sex... I would prefer that they hear it from me, right? right? right. Or maybe in that, or that topic from the parents, yeah. right? It, far better to learn about sex from your parents than it is from Google. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, we're going to talk about this. But the first thing that I always share with people is that Jesus is in charge of all this. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe, and Satan can use different things to mock Jesus Christ, to simulate what our blessed Lord wants to do in the lives of the faithful in order to lead souls away from Christ. Because people are looking. Mm -hmm. They're looking. And a lot of people don't want to look to Jesus. And so they'll look to some of this new age nonsense, which a lot of it is true. I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, when I say true, it's real, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of this is real and that people do really communicate with demons who are pretending to be you know, spirits of the... So just one example, Um, seances, right? Where you you conjure up the soul of a deceased person. The church teaches very clearly that we are not to do this. Very clearly. It's a serious violation of the first commandment. If someone's done it, they should bring it to confession and leave it with Jesus and entrust it to his mercy. But it's a serious violation of the first commandment. And so if someone conjures up a spirit of the dead and Jesus very clearly tells us we are not to do this, does God the Father allow a dead person to come in a means that he himself has forbidden? The answer is obviously no. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so what is going on there? Well, one of two things. That medium, so think of, for instance, Teresa Caputo, Long Island Medium. Right. That medium is doing one of two things. That person is either putting on a really good con show, a really good you know, masquerade, or they're communicating with demons. Neither of which is good, yeah. okay? So that's one example. You mentioned uh, some other things that are much more common. Um, you mentioned hypnosis. Hypno- in hypnosis, what are you doing? You're surrendering your will and your intellect to spirits that are not of God, that are not of Jesus Christ, and that's not healthy. I mean, the, you know, can there be times when the church has said, you know, there could be a good reason to undergo hypnosis, for instance, for some medical uses. Like, um, I know some people that are hypnotized in order to give up a smoking addiction. Right. Um, are there instances where that could be good and licit? Yes. Okay, but if we're just doing it for the entertainment value, if we're just doing it for the sake of, you know, 
this is funny. You are, in, you are in fact opening doors to spirits that are not of Jesus Christ. And so the analogy that I always use, my mother, when I was a little kid, my mother used to always yell at me, don't leave the door open. Why not? I mean, and as a little kid, you don't think about this mm-hmm. stuff. But why? Well, because an animal could come in there. Bugs. Uh, bugs. <laughs> uh, a squirrel, a snake could crawl in the, in the door. Yeah. Okay. And so I always tell people, look, when you open doors through new age practices, it could be clairvoyance, it could be astral projection, it could be hypnosis, it could be seances, it could be use of crystals. Yoga it actually falls under this. I don't want to open up that whole can of worms. I'll, I'll talk about yoga briefly here at the end. When you're doing these things, what you are in essence doing is opening a door to spirits that are not of Jesus Christ. Now, can God block them and prevent them from tormenting you as a result of this? Yes, he can. Every time I left the door open, did a squirrel run in the house? No, thanks be to God, it never happened, but it could have, right? And so what we're saying here is when you open these doors, you are in essence inviting all sorts of things that you don't have any business dealing with into your life, into your body. And it's not good, okay? It's, it's not healthy, um, Ouija boards, same thing, tarot cards, fortune tellers, all of this. It's all a violation of the first commandment. It all welcomes demonic entities. So I mentioned yoga. I said I I would say it briefly at the end of this. Now, are there good stretches that you can do? Yes, I stretch regularly when I exercise. I try to work out every day. I don't always succeed in that, but I try. And when I do, I try to stretch. It's good, right? We should not exercise cold muscles. Everybody knows that. Stretching is a good thing. But yoga postures, right? I mean, this is just what the thing is. Yoga postures go back to Hinduism. Yoga is a Hindu word that means yoked, okay? And it's a a practice present within Hinduism that offers, each of those poses offers adoration to a specific Hindu deity. And what 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 are the fathers of the church? What does the, the word of God tell us about the gods of the pagans, they are demons. And this is not to, to denigrate anyone who follows the Hindu religion. It's just trying to be faithful and true to what we know as, as followers of Jesus. The Old Testament. Exactly. That the gods of the pagans are demons. That they are demons masquerading as a deity, as a deity, in order to confuse people and lead them away from worship of the one true triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so does that mean that a person cannot do yoga, that if you do yoga, you're going to get demonically possessed? No, it doesn't mean that at all, right? I know people that do yoga, okay? But what I would say is I would, if you're going to do this, obviously, A, make sure that your, that your mentality is, okay, I'm just stretching here. You don't enter into the breathing part. You don't enter into the, to the meditation, the meditative aspect of yoga, that if you're going to meditate on something, meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, mm-hmm. meditate on a word of God, something, a line from the scriptures, something like that. And be careful with these postures. Okay, be careful with them. Right. Uh, because, again, they are, if we understand what it is in its essence, they are acts of veneration towards Hindu deities. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers it or not. No, There's does. a lot there. So There's really, a whole ton there. So, so I'll be really honest too. Like when yeah. I was when I was in college, I was on the, the dance team at my college for all four years. And one of our requirements was every one morning every week, we would have to go and do yoga. Yeah. 
And so I went into it with the mindset, one, not fully understanding the church teaching, but I went into it with the mindset also of like, okay, like I'll just get some good stretching. And I think that was also the coach's mindset. Like you guys will get more flexible for the dances. And then I would actually like find myself praying the rosary as as I'm doing this stuff. But there was one time where um, like the leader during the reflection part at the end or during the meditation part at the end, the leader started doing this like, it sounded Hindu, I don't know. It was like a very odd reflection or prayer or something and at that point I went to my coach and I was like I'll come in at the same time but I'm gonna go to the weight room like I can't I'm not gonna do that again because I just the whole time that she was reading it I was like this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong and like I just started praying the rosary because I was like I can't do it like no that's good that's good I mean and honestly like if if someone finds himself in a situation like that and you can't get away from it best thing just is exactly what you did you turn to prayer Mm -hmm. you just turn to the rosary um, you know, I, I'm a devotee, you might say, of P90X. I have done P90X three times. Um, I'm that way with it, Insanity. I think one time, like, eight. Oh, Insanity <laughs> so. is, it, it, it's an apt name. It's insane. Yeah. I would never mm-hmm. do that. Good for you. But um, part of P90X is yoga. And uh, the first time I did it, I didn't really know this. And so I did it. Um, I did the yoga aspect. It's something that I've since brought to confession uh, and, and renounced and said I... I don't want any part of this. But then uh, in the successive time, the, the two successive times I've done P90X, uh, there's an isometric workout that's included. That's not, it, it's very similar, but it's, it's different enough that I feel comfortable doing it. And so whenever the yoga rotation comes around, whenever that day pops in on the rotation, I just, I switch it up and yeah. I throw in the isometric workout yeah. and do that instead. Which still, it gives a good stretch. It uh, it gives you know just a, a good all around workout. You feel good um, without kind of bringing in the the you know as you said the prayer and the, the meditative aspect of yoga. So there I realize is- that can open up a whole can of worms. And I realize there's probably people that you know that are really upset with me right now. I'm just telling you what I know through my own study and through listening to people that are in the know on this. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, you're good. There is a there is a Catholic alternative as well. It's called Soul Core. Yeah. S O U L Soul Core. And it's basically doing like workout workouts and stretching in the midst of praying a rosary. Yep. It's actually really cool. Yep. Soul Core is great. And in fact, uh the woman who developed that, her brother is a priest in the Archdiocese of New York. He's a good friend of mine. Nice. Yeah. So, okay, how would you answer this this question or issue to somebody who doesn't believe in evil or the devil? Somebody who doesn't believe in evil or the devil. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we've encountered this recently, and it kind of well, it kind of blew our minds because of who this person was. But, yeah. Well, and I guess I guess I would say this: um, if someone, first of all, doesn't believe in evil, I'd say turn on the evening news. You know, I mean, um, but if someone doesn't believe in, shall we say, a personification of evil, Satan, uh, you know, this is actually, it just boggles my mind what I'm about to say here, that I have to say this. But the superior general of the Jesuits came out a couple of years ago and said that Satan is not a real person. And a number of very prominent exorcists in the church said, dude, you're just off your rocker. You're nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, come into a session with me. And, and, it not, and when I say with me, I don't mean with me. But uh, I yeah. think one of the people that challenged him, I think was Father Gabriel Amort. Father Gabriel Amort has done, I mean, he's deceased now, but he did 
at least tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of exorcisms. Father Amort was a saintly man, and I, I suspect he might even be canonized at some point in the future. Well, when you have this guy who has done hundreds of thousands of exorcisms and has seen people, you know, float on top of their bed, crawl up of walls, mm -hmm. um, vomit up, you know, centipedes and scorpions and frogs and snakes and, you know... You read his book, and, you, and I, have, I see no reason to, to, to suspect that Father Amort is lying when you read his books. Mm -hmm. If someone is just on their own whim going to say, well, I don't believe in you that, I'd be like, well, I, I guess you're lucky you have that luxury that you haven't been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen it. Um, but golly, I mean, I've never been to Sweden, but I would never be so naive as to say I don't believe in Sweden. Like, you know, I guess it's just one of those things to say like, hey, um, maybe you, d you just need to experience it. Right? And thanks be to God you haven't. But golly, you look at the testimony of, you know, whether it's Father Amort or uh, more prominently now in our own day, Father Chad Ripperger, who really is kind of the, the voice of the ministry of exorcism and deliverance in the world today. You listen to these guys' testimony, I... I don't know how you could walk away saying that Satan is not real. Right. Mm -hmm. If Satan is not real, and if we don't have the risk of spending eternity with him and losing our souls and our salvation, what do we need Jesus for and what do we need the sacraments for? Right. Did Jesus undergo the most agonizing death in human history, arguably, for nothing? Mm -hmm. That seems kind of far-fetched. Yeah, it seems to me, and I've encountered this as well, like we want to... Like, I think there is a lot of spiritual curiosity. In some ways, it goes back to that New Age question at the beginning. Mm -hmm. We want all the positive aspects of the spiritual curiosity, uh, even down to the ghost hunting, you know, and things like that. Oh, yeah, and I mean, that's a real thing, too. But, but we don't want that. the negative. We don't want the bad thing. So I don't know how we embrace one and not the other. I don't know how we profess any form of the Christian faith if the devil isn't real. Yeah. Well, it's that's exactly right. I mean, it's explicitly against the word of God. Mm. I mean, and quite frankly, all you got to do is read the, the first five chapters of Mark's gospel. Right. And I, it seems like every other passage, Jesus is expelling a demon in, mm. the, in the beginning of Mark's gospel. He, there's a demon here. He drives him out. One over here. There's one, and yeah. right. concluding with the Gerasene demoniac, and I think it's Mark 5. Right. Or just book one of the Bible. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Genesis. Genesis. Read yeah. Job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Satan who comes. And, I mean, and yeah. it's almost funny. Like God says to Satan, like, pfft. Where do you come from? I, I think it actually, whence do you come? What are you doing here? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and who exactly is the person that tempts Jesus? Right, exactly, in the, in right. the desert. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Okay, so kind of on the opposite end of this, as like, you know, if, if somebody's falling into this or somebody's struggling with, you know, something that's spiritual warfare-like, um, obviously prayer and like there are things that can counter it, but I'm a big proponent of spiritual direction. Yeah. I think yeah. that is, it's been like one of the most helpful things in my own spiritual life. So, um, God. what, for those who don't know, what is spiritual direction? What's the point and, and who should have a spiritual director? Yeah. So three questions here. I'll give you three answers. What is spiritual direction? It's different from confession. Confession is just confessing of sins. You can do it with the same priest, obviously, because it's all what we call internal forum, meaning it's all private. All right. But uh, spiritual direction is really just counsel in the spiritual life. Like a, you look at the individual's prayer. So the individual prays, they report back to their director. Here's what I think is going on. And the director tries to guide you in your own discernment of saying, 
what is Jesus doing here? You know, what 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 is the Lord trying to communicate? Uh, what were the other two questions? I'm sorry. Yeah, what's the point, and who should have a spiritual All right, director? What's the point? Yeah. Growth in holiness, growth in virtue. Yeah. You know, simple. Um, and then who should have a spiritual director? Well, in an ideal world, everyone. Mm-hmm. All right. Every baptized person in an ideal world should have a spiritual director. We don't live in an ideal world. There are not enough priests and religious and trained lay people in the ministry of spiritual direction to be able to offer this to everyone. So I'll tell you what what I do is my own personal policy. I will only provide spiritual direction for people who are engaged in an active ministry in the church. Mm -hmm. So it could be a brother priest, it could be a religious sister, it could be someone considering or discerning the diaconate, Um, it could be someone teaching at a Catholic school, that's an active ministry. Um, could be, uh, someone who, you know, I, I won't tell you who, but I do spiritual direction for a couple of focused missionaries, fellowship of Catholic university students. They're engaged in an actual ministry in the church. Mm-hmm. The reason I have to draw that line is because you just, you have to draw a line somewhere. And my hope is that if I can provide spiritual direction to, and, and mm-hmm. I'll use these two focused missionaries as, as an example, if I can provide it to the two of them, they in turn can provide it, say, to five people, five just regular lay college students. Well, indirectly, I'm providing spiritual direction to 12 people now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that, it's the whole concept of spiritual multiplication because you just you can't do it all. You just can't do it all. And so I've had to turn people away uh, personally. I don't want to. I don't like doing that. But again, I mean, it, it, with... You know, with the, the shortage of priests facing not only our diocese, but the church, it just isn't enough time in a day. So in an ideal world, everyone, but we don't live in an ideal world. So the first people I think that need direction, that need spiritual direction, are those people actively engaged in a specific ministry in the church. Yeah. Father, you mentioned the shortage of priests. Yeah. And we've talked about the call to greatness that we all have, the call to holiness. So I'm curious, what advice might you give to listeners who want to serve the church, who want to help the church? Um, what can we do to better assist you and all clergy, really, in your ministry as pastors, shepherds of souls? What what can we do to help support you going forward? Best thing you can do is be a saint. And, and I know that sounds cliche, but seriously, like we don't have enough saints. Mm-hmm. Why do we not have enough priests? Fundamentally, you get all you boil it all the way down because we don't have enough saints. Mm-hmm. And only a saint is actively listening to the word, to the will, to the word of God. I firmly believe that we have that God is calling enough young men to serve his church as priests right now. But one of two things is happening. They're either hearing it and saying no, or they're not hearing it. And in both cases, the fundamental cause of that problem is that people are not being called to be saints, to be holy. Or at least they're not hearing that. That's the first fundamental call. The Second Vatican Council affirms that, the universal call to holiness. Mm. And so to answer your question, Fred, like what can people do? Pray, receive the sacraments with fervor, be men and women of virtue. And if we do those three things, then we're going to be much better equipped to hear the word of God and to hear what the Lord is placing upon our heart uh, in, in terms of coming to follow him. Because we all have a vocation. I mean, obviously, I said we all have a vocation to holiness, but everyone listening to this has a vocation, a specific vocation to serve the Lord and the church as a priest, as a religious sister, as a married person. And when I personally, I mean, I can't speak for anybody else, but when I pray for vocations, I always include and to faithful and holy marriages. Because I think sometimes, you know, young people who are called to enter the vocation of marriage, 
I think sometimes we're just like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. And we don't denigrate it, but we don't affirm that. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone is called to marriage and they're a saintly, holy person, I've heard people say, oh, you should have been a priest. No, they shouldn't have. Right, yeah. That person was called to marriage. They should have been married yeah. because holy, that's their path to holiness. A holy family mm-hmm. can change the world. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so what we need more than anything are people that are willing to become saints, to be heroically generous, heroically virtuous. And by that means, as you said, Kara, change the world. And going back to your first point from earlier in the show, to do that like there's no tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. I like that answer too. Like, you know, what can we do to help you? I feel like so often we focus on like the doing aspect to keep ourselves busy to, to work. And your answer was to be a saint it's to be and i like that a lot ajra sequitur essa action follows being i like it i mean i one of my favorite passages is the story of martha and mary yeah and you know and i'm a martha right (laughs) and so many people are and so many people are and and god bless them so many of my brother priests just butcher the catechesis on this passage and they say well jesus is very clearly showing us that there are two paths to holiness and that some are called to the to the active life and some are called to the contemplative life that's nonsense (laughs) okay a we're all called to be contemplatives all right but b jesus very clearly in that passage says mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her he does not say that they are equal yeah I love the line in The Soul of the Apostolate, Father. I don't know if you've read that, uh, The Soul of the Apostolate. I haven't read it, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I feel like it should be, it's must read for every Catholic. But um, one of the points that is made in there is the true apostle expects more from their prayer and suffering than they expect from their acts of doing. And I don't know, that just always, as someone who works in ministry, I find myself constantly having to remember that. But I think that's true in everyday life as well. Like yeah. We spend too much time worrying about the doing and we forget to be. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, that, that, that's exactly right. And, and if we're not the, per, the people that we are being called to be first, then mm-hmm. what we're called to do will, it will never work. Right. It will never work. Right. Kind of going off that, like if we are all answering our call to holiness, like we are striving to be saints and we're you know passionate about that, what would you say to young adults or what advice would you give to young adults who are passionate about their faith but let's say they're met with you know opposition or discouragement from you know their parish like their parish itself but also just like you know the community and the culture well okay so a couple of things i I always feel like i always preface my answer a couple of things (laughs) um a if you're a young adult and you want to get involved in your parish and you're met with resistance at your parish like from your priest or someone in your parish if you have the luxury then find a new parish i mean i hate saying that i I really don't I, i don't like doing that because you know we need to build up the place where we're at right now but golly it if you are being met with resistance at your parish, then come to mine. I will welcome you with open arms and we'll build my parish into this, you know, this great Mecca, this bastion of Catholicism. Um, and heck, if this needs to be the beacon of light and people from here go out and evangelize the world, then great. So, like I said, the first thing, if you're being met with resistance, find a new parish. The second one is if you don't have that luxury, and I realize a lot of people don't. I mean, here in, in our diocese, in rural northwest Iowa, the closest, the next closest parish might be 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't have that luxury, mm-hmm. that you, you are stuck in the parish that you're in. 
then find a good group of people. Yeah. And you should do this anyway, but find a good group of people that you can be friends with who can really be a, a good resource, a good support network for you. Um, ideally, if the person is married, one would be your spouse, mm -hmm. okay, obviously. Um, but friends, men and women both, uh, that you can, you know, go out for pizza with mm -hmm. and go over to each other's house and have a Bible study together at, that, you know, you can lean on each other for babysitters and, mm -hmm. and you have people that can watch your kids so that you and your spouse can have a date together. Um, and then you watch their kids so that they can have a date together. Mm -hmm. I mean, just these little things of, you know, helping one another live the normal Christian life. Uh, that's what changes the world, right. ultimately. Right. It shows you what, what community, what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Absolutely. I think sometimes, too, people can get a little bit discouraged with, like, a whole group of people. Or, like, oh, I have to be the one to go start this. Or I have to be the one to go find you know, five friends, there's that like funny meme about Jesus. Like the miracle of Jesus oh, right. wasn't, wasn't all of his miracles is that he found 12 friends. Yeah. It's like in his thirties, in his thirties, yeah. he found right. 12 friends in his thirties. So yeah. sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating to, to be like a whole group of people. So I would say even just like one person who you feel like, you know, is a support in your faith. Like you said, if you're married, building that amongst your spouse and within your marriage, but you know, just like you find one person who's strong in their faith, mm. go out for coffee. It doesn't have to be Hey, I'd like to go out for coffee with you and talk about God. But right. just, just like I think, you know, we would really get along. Would you like to go out for coffee? And then it just mm -hmm. kind of builds from there, and that's a little bit less intimidating. Mm -hmm. And this is a topic we we've done previously, Kara, on our four people you need in your life oh, yeah. episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who are those four people? Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, and Silas. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I, uh, not that I'm anything great to follow along, but if you're interested in following me. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel. I post homilies on there. Um, so you can check that out at uh, just type in my name, Father FR, period, Patrick Bame. It's spelled B as in boy, E H M as in Michael. So Father Patrick Bame is my YouTube channel. And I'm also on Twitter quite a bit. So if you, uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, my handle is at F R P B E H M. So uh, the, the alphanumeric, the, the phonetic alphabet, if you're, if you're into that, at Foxtrot Romeo Papa <laughs> Bravo Echo Hotel Mike nice. uh, at FRP Bame. Nice. So check that out. Uh, not that I'm looking to gain followers, but if you like what I had to say and you'd like to hear more or read more, um, those are the two places you can find me. Sweet. You have little nuggets of wisdom sometimes. Every now and then. <laughs> Every now and then. Sometimes I tick people off. But hey, you know, they always told us in seminary that if nobody's ever upset at your homilies, you're probably not doing your job. There you go. <laughs> you, nice. If you're not ticking people off and you're probably not doing your job, Jesus ticked people off. That's not the end of the world. There you go. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Father, for joining us. You bet. And thank you for everybody who is listening. And just a reminder, if you are interested in Fred and I possibly doing just short segments to post, uh, feel free to email us at drawnear.me at gmail.com and let us know if you'd be interested in what topics you'd like to hear. Cool. Thanks. Should we finish with a prayer? That'd be great. Sounds good. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask your blessing upon all who have been listening to this podcast. We pray that through these words uh, that you would open their hearts to receive whatever gift and grace you desire to give. We pray, Lord, that you would make up for all that is lacking uh, within our conversation, that anything that was not of you, Lord, would be purged and wiped away. We pray uh, just that you would pour forth your grace and your mercy and your blessing upon all who are listening and gathered here. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.